1: You had to make a phone call. That's what happens when you're a busy executive, right? That's right.
0: The joys of live radio.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Evan, you probably have an opinion on this. Financial aid form upending college decisions. Oh, it could be. Students and families will have to complete an already stressful process. Boy. That is, it's a really stressful. Putting that that one together is really stressful. I've already started getting some emails and texts
0: from parents of, hey, this is going on. Do I include this in the FAFSA or so forth? Yeah. It is. It's a big deal.
1: There's a lot. It says that they have a stressful process uh, and what college to attend under tighter deadlines and general or greater uncertainty than ever this year. The source of the heightened anxiety is a change by the Education Department intended to speed up (laughs) (laughs) – lots of unintended consequences – and simplify how families qualify for financial aid. Delays rolling out the revamped Free Application for Federal Student Aid, or FASFA, as it's normally referred to, meant to aid applications, which normally begin in October, couldn't open until late December – then technical glitches during the soft launch of the online form further exacerbated families and and exasperated, I should say, families and schools. In the past, colleges they would get the data from these forms. After the application was filed, information on the new form they basically said it wouldn't be available to the colleges until late January at the earliest. And that leaves a lot of financial aid offices unable to assist families until then. So, you know, you're like trying to rush to get something done, and then you got even less time to well, deal with it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's a few things that are going to be at play. Number one, the uh, the formula had a change in terms of how they account. And we had t- I think we had talked about this some last year when that was first announced, but uh, they're not going to give as much credit to having multiple students uh-huh. in college at the same time. Oh uh, And so people's expected family contribution, the EFC, uh-huh. that the FAFSA is designed to come up with that number of uh-huh. what the government says you're supposed to be able to <laughs> yeah. pay for college. Yeah. Um, that's going to be higher for some
1: people uh, unexpectedly. And now they're in a hurry. And, and people's budgets are kind of Crushed many times, you know. You kind of have your budget set, and all of a sudden, you get a curveball thrown at you like that. And and you may not
0: know. Oh, I was going to apply to this school, and now I maybe don't have enough. Dollar, you know, I maybe can't get enough aid to go to that particular school. Yeah, it's a.
1: It's yeah, a they they made a comment in this time. article. Yeah, they said students who applied to college early and have already been accepted by the school of their choice are facing a time crunch. They said they might not even get their full financial aid packages till March or later, which is after some colleges' early decision deadlines. Yeah, what a frustration that would be. Right. You know, early decision applicants are generally committed to attend. If they are accepted, though, can back out if the family can't afford to pay. Early action applicants, like regular decision applicants, often have until make the, May to make the decision. And, you know, I think this is going to be a big topic this year. Yeah. And I mean, the new system, if
0: you file online, is, you know, like you said, you're, it's designed to streamline the process. Mm-hmm. And you end up giving it permission to basically access your tax records from the prior year. And, you know, so some of that theoretically is more automated. But, uh, you know, you think about anytime you get a correction to your tax return, you know, you've maybe gotten a postcard, you know, postcards, a letter saying, hey, you forgot these dividends, you owe us 22 bucks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, And so now you can see, oh, it kicks out. We need you to actually send us, you know, fill out the information manually because we can't link to your, you know, mm-hmm. your re- record. Um, it's it's going to be a challenge.
1: Yeah, I think it will be. Hey, you actually swerved into something that's an interesting topic in general that ha- we probably ought to address this time of year is always something that people think about with non-qualified accounts. Oh, yeah. So you got your qualified accounts, you got your IRAs, you got your, you know, technically they're not qualified, but we often refer to them as that uh, because they act just like qualified plans, like 401Ks and 403Bs, but you'll have non-qualified accounts, which is I just have, I want to put money away and I have put what I can into an IRA. And if you're fortunate enough to have enough income where you actually are able to put money away for in your, let's say- 401k plan, your income is high enough and you're you're able to do that, max it out, no problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes what happens, people higher income, they're looking at, well, gosh, what do I do? Now I gotta put money away and I've done everything I can in my 401k plan, where can I put it? And I think non-qualified account. Mm-hmm. You know, so the idea because you know, being able to make further contributions to IRAs may be not not you don't have that ability because your income's too high for those types, and there there are phase outs for that. Uh, where your income is too high, you can't deduct the contribution. And a lot of times you look at putting money into a non-deductible IRA, it's a non-starter, simply just because of the fact that you gotta track all of those post-tax contributions in the future, and that can be a real pain in the neck. But you know the other thing I like about non-qualified accounts is they're subject to a different type of tax rule, which mm-hmm. is capital gains taxes versus you know, regular income taxes when you pull money out. But then you got this little thing called dividends. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I, I don't know about, you know, and Ira's I back from his phone call. Uh, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I know that around this time of year, you'll get people that are in a big hurry to file their tax returns. Yes. And, you know, they want to get them done as soon as possible. And I go, oh, you got this non-qualified account. And you got to be conscious of what Evan was just talking about. So, describe that a little bit. What's going on with your tax returns and why it is that these companies that are filing and telling you that you've got income from your investments, they usually file extensions themselves.
0: Yeah. Well, and some of it's even, it's one of these unofficial, official, you know, communications from the service. Mm -hmm. But, you know... If you're taking distributions from an IRA or those kind of things, or even W-2 if you're on salary, most of those documents all have to be delivered or sent by January 31st. Used to your 1099 composite, that's the statement from your custodian that says, here's the capital gains I had, here's the transactions I had, or dividends in your stocks or mutual funds, that used to have to be sent by the 31st of January as well. Mm Mm-hmm but with all of the changes in the tax code over the years you they had this new category of qualified dividends and so a company had to you know meet a certain set of criteria and those dividends are only taxed at 15%. Well then, you know, international companies may delay their reporting and so what would happen many times and when I was preparing returns, you know, you'd get this thing filed and then Mid-March you get a corrected 1099. The frustration. <laughs> yes. And, hey, this was your dividend number, not what we sent you January 31st. So the IRS basically ended up just giving a grace period and said, "Okay, you don't have to send this stuff till the 15th of February." To to mitigate some of that, it still goes on.
1: Yeah, let, so so these companies have yeah, a longer period of time. They've got a longer time then to give you. You've gone and filed your taxes. Right only to find out that they come back and they correct, quote-unquote, your dividend payouts from, especially international, you see that quite often, Mm -hmm. you know, the international markets. Yeah, and then,
0: you know, that's when you find out if you had a foreign tax credit, you know, just all those kind of things. But here's the interesting thing, just thinking about, you know, (laughs) swerving into it in the first place. Oftentimes, uh, people will get the form and in their, their mind, they'll say, okay, well, I didn't take anything out of this account this year, so I don't need to worry about putting this on my taxes. And you do. Even, yes. <laughs> even if those dividends were reinvested, even if the capital gains distributions were reinvested in your fund, or even individual stock, if we're talking about dividends, just because you didn't take possession of it physically, mm-hmm. it's still a taxable event. And you do need to make sure that you're reporting all of those transactions, mm-hmm. just so that you don't get any nasty grams from the service come June or July.
1: And when a portfolio is being managed, one yeah. of the things that happens is you'll have rebalancing the portfolio for risk. Because, you know, think about it: if you had been an investor mm-hmm. that had, and just let's me just use a broad example to make this really, really simple, from the 1960s to the early 1980s, just use as an example, international markets literally just trounced U.S. markets during the 1970s. They absolutely trounced U.S. markets in the 1980s. And to use a really simple example, can you imagine what your portfolio looks like? It's primarily international Yeah. by the late 1980s, right? You're, and I remember getting in this business and having these guys around me, these older guys that have been in the business a while So. Paul, and they, put their arm, and they put their arm around me, and they pat me on the back, congratulations, getting your securities license. Don't mess around with U.S. stocks. Just put your clients in yeah. international. And there was a really good story to be told about how U.S. was going to continue to be dogged yeah. by and, international. Yeah. And then you go and you put, you have this portfolio that you don't manage, and you have all of this international exposure in the 90s, We have that huge bull run Mm -hmm. of U.S. stocks, and you're not there for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, and you did it maybe because of tax reasons, because you didn't want to pay a little bit of capital gains taxes on some of the gains that you had incurred right. with international. And now you're kicking yourself. Yep. So, you know, I think that's a really big deal. And you're that's going to be part of it when you're having an investment for it. not. And then also, let's say if you're dealing with portfolio and you've got small companies that become medium-sized companies, they're sold out of the portfolio. You've got little things that happen inside of a portfolio when it's being managed that trigger you know, capital gains, yeah. taxes.
2: So, well, if you remember, Paul, um, and how, how difficult it was, 1998, 1999, to keep clients difficult when they wanted to move out of international into U.S. It was the exact opposite of what was happening in the 1980s. Because I saw it in the business. Oh, yeah, it was,
1: it's I, terrible. I saw, I saw it in the business
2: in 1984. Yeah. So I remember the international markets running. Um, yeah. But then, you know, when people are like, no, it's more
1: yeah. international T- into the portfolio. Templeton
0: was the big name, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You
1: know, good point. Yeah. That's that's a name that you haven't heard really talked Not about really. in decades.
2: Yeah. Well. Really good point. I thought <laughs> that's well, interesting. That's a good yeah, one. Once they were bought by Franklin yeah. and then it became Franklin, Templeton, Franklin and Templeton and then Templeton went away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's true, too. They, they did. When did that happen? That well, happened in the 80s. If I remember correctly. no, no, no. Franklin Templeton been around longer than that. Tem- Franklin Templeton had been in the name for longer. They than were, that. Templeton was an individual. When did Templeton comedy. go out of the name, though? I don't. This is. I trivial. don't remember. This is trivia, um, and I would have.
2: I would have lost this game. But, <laughs> this round. But the same thing that you saw, like with those older brokers saying, "Don't buy in US, look it up. <laughs> don't buy U.S. Just buy international. In the late nineties, it was like, "Get me out of international, just put me in U.S." And then, if you did that. The, stock market, the U.S. stock market dropped in 2000, mm. and the international markets yes. took off. Yes. So that's the importance of just staying disciplined and rebalancing the portfolio. Yes, and, that, and
1: not letting the tax tail wag the dog, Correct. As, we, as we like to yeah. say.
2: And that's what I was going to say. All right.
1: I, Evan's o- got an answer. October of 92. Templeton. Templeton's name went when away.
0: Franklin bought Templeton Okay, Okay, no, but I want
1: to know when Templeton's name, because it was Franklin Templeton.
0: After ninety-two, for so long. Yeah,
1: for how long?
0: That's I think what, still now.
1: That's what I thought, but I wasn't sure because yeah. I don't follow that
0: fund But John family. Templeton was managing the Templeton Fund. Yeah, I just don't. Follow that, he was, the was fund kind of like family. the Peter Lynch of
1: yeah. his still time period. It is yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Whew. Man, I thought I was like,
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, so I, I, didn't tot- I didn't
1: totally lose the game of, of financial trivia. No. <laughs> Mutual fund trivia. Uh, but yeah, so, so back to the point though. Yeah, I think that, and then of course, you know, Janus funds. Yep. Uh, you know, y- and when you're dealing with technology companies, technology would have been taking up a huge portion of your portfolio oh, yeah. in the late 90s. And if you weren't a rebalancer-
0: Janus 20 and some of those,
1: yeah. Yeah. Then you ended up in a situation with- all of those huge, and you know, so capital gains aren't, capital right. gains just means you made some money. Yeah. You know? I want to owe a million dollars in taxes. That's my well, goal. <laughs> and, part, and part of the
0: problem is
2: when people get, are getting out of the funds, the funds can drop in value, but they're causing capital gains on the funds. So you're going to end up paying capital gains taxes what after your portfolio was dropped in value.
1: Yeah, that's the frustrating. I remember when they were toying around with changing that law, and I was doing radio. You know, in mm-hmm. those, it was literally in the early two thousands, and I was like, "Man, I really hope that they they change this. I really hope that they change this." And of course, they didn't. <laughs> it was too profitable. <laughs> we can't change that. We might lose yeah. some tax money. <laughs> right. Uh, but you know, the the beauty of it, anyway, at this time. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But if you're in 10 or 15% tax bracket, and that's a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Our 10 or 12% tax bracket, excuse me. uh, You're in a 0% capital gains rate. Mm -hmm. Right. And you look at that and go, that's not
0: terrible. And those rate bands have shifted for inflation. The tax rates are the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now to get into the 20% capital gains rate, you're taxable income has to be like $505,000 or something. So almost everybody's in a 15% gains rate.
1: Yeah, to get in the very top, Uh, that 20% rate, yeah, yeah. it's...
0: You have half have, mil plus.
1: Yeah, 583. Yeah, uh, right.
2: You, you know, Paul. I remember when I started in this business. My dad said to me, "Well, I hope one day you're paying fifty thousand dollars a year in taxes." And I looked at him. <laughs> I looked at him and said, "Are oh, you I'm, crazy?" I, I, I was like, <laughs> "I never want to pay the government fifty thousand dollars a year in taxes." And He said, "Well, you have the wrong attitude." I'm like, well, "Why?" He said, because if you're paying $50,000 in taxes, it means you're making enough money to have to pay them $50,000 in, in taxes. taxes. And I kind of changed my whole viewpoint of that. And now, when I
1: was. Now, te- that, that's as opposed to if they raise the tax rates so high that even at a low income you're paying that much in tax, <laughs> <laughs> then I still won't be happy. Well, <laughs> but I, I remember
2: when I was teaching at Florida International University on a, a, a workshop called Successful Money Management. Um, I used to say to the class, you know, living in America, we have a blessing and a curse. The blessing is that it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you grew up on, what your gender is, and there were only two back then. I think it's still the same today. Uh, What the color of your skin is. We all have the ability to get a free primary education Mm -hmm. and we all have the same ability to go on and create wealth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The curse is you have to pay taxes. Yeah, and being I was in you know Miami at the time, you know, and then probably more than half of my students were you know of Latin descent. Yeah, I would say well, it beats living in Cuba. Yeah, or Venezuela, or many of the other countries.
1: Although they still are driving those really cool '57 Chevys. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> are they still weigh of, like four
0: thousand pounds? Yeah.
1: But, <laughs> are they still? But the point is, is there rust down there? I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> but I,
2: I, as you had said earlier, I think the point is, is that too many people make their investment decisions based upon taxes, and that's the wrong reason to make them. Right. Yeah. Know.
1: Well, and and if you look at what gets people to these dinner workshops, it's that topic because they think that that's the big deal and the reality of it is it's not you know the studies as I've talked about I, I mentioned last week mm-hmm. that one article that says oh surprise the biggest deterrent or the biggest difference between you being successful or not is you know managing the money investing well yep. it's yeah it's not you know avoiding taxes it's not you know but It's important. It's part of the deal. It's part of financial planning. You know, you want to be a good store to whatever you've got, but you know, don't overly focus on that one thing. And you know, that is, it's typically what investment firms focus on because it's so stinking complicated. Mm -hmm. That you will throw up your arms in disgust and not and be so confused. Yeah. And and you know the reality of it is you'll call the investment firm for the wrong reason, to help you run the tax code when they should be focusing on more academics.
2: Yeah, <laughs> in well, investing. the only yeah. way that I know that is, the only guaranteed way a know to pay less taxes, just
1: make less money. That's it, that does it. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one.